Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 6th of August 2012. For newcomers, I always say that you should make good use of the website CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. you find over a thousand audios for download, free download, and I go through the system that you're born into. For those who care, uh, outside the mainstream, little bits of the mainstream, uh, but lots of uh, books and so on written by the guys who got together a hundred odd years ago to decide what kind of world they wanted to bring in. And of course, you're living through the big changes in your own lifetime, as were your parents before you. So help yourself to the website. You'll find lots of information there. The big organizations with their foundations and their thousands of, of NGO armies, non-governmental armies, they call them, that run the world. And through philanthropy, as they call it, uh, they'll merge public-private into into this new system, a feudal system, really, according to Professor Carl Quigley and others who worked with the Council on Foreign Relations, for instance. And that's what you're seeing set up across the whole globe with trading blocks and being, being, uh, coming into uh, existence that were talked about a hundred years ago. The big organizations actually have their own histories where they document planning and operating to get these things up and running for the last hundred years. You're living through immense changes and uh, and most folk, of course, haven't even a clue that's going on because people are the most adaptable species on the planet. That's what humans are. And they adapt without thinking for most of them. So help yourself to that. Remember, too, you are the audience that bring me to you. You can help me keep going by buying the books and discs at cuttingthroughthemedias.com because I don't bring on advertisers as guests and so on, and uh, I just depend upon you, the listeners, to uh, buy the books, because if you don't understand the histories and the cons that have been pulled in the past, you won't understand what's happening today. And for those who, as I say, want to know, because most folk really don't want to know, they're quite content in their little worlds of happiness and entertainment, but for those who want to know, help yourself, you'll learn an awful lot, and there's a satisfaction in knowing, it's a real satisfaction in knowing when you read the fake media reports and so on, you can put things together very, very easily, because everything is propaganda these days. Now from the US to Canada, remember you can purchase the books by using a personal check or an international postal money order from the post office. You can send cash or you can use PayPal. And across the world, you go Western Union, MoneyGram, and PayPal once again. Straight donations are really sincerely welcome at this stage. Now, as I say, you got to understand the past. you got to understand that the, the big organizations that really were international money lenders, they lent to nations, got together in the 1800s and they talked about fomenting wars, right down to world wars eventually, which they said would bring everyone to their knees and they would come forward with a sort of United Nations idea to, to bring the world under one big governmental rule. But they also wanted trading blocks too to, to, to compete with each other. 
You've got to have competition in commerce. And, of course, that's what we are. We're the sheep. They're the shepherds. And they live off the sheep. So you've got to have all competing with each other. And they amass the profits, naturally. So you're living through a very... Well, they think this is a very practical system for themselves, of course. And they want to go on, on into the future. And they've got academia on board with them. Uh, they have massive marketing companies that the best propaganda specialists on the planet working with them. They're interchangeable with the military ones. In fact, they use a lot of their marketers with the military, these private organizations, like the Royal Institute of International Affairs, Council on Foreign Relations. And uh, uh, there's really a, a, a seamless door between military, big business, international banking and uh, and the Royal Institute of International Affairs. No doubt about it. Last week I read an article from Britain where we saw all of these fostered, founded, well-funded organizations that are causing the strife across the Middle East. Professional agitators, but at the top you've got professional spies, all working for the private sector back after this. Hi folks, I'm back. We're cutting through the matrix. And this world that we live in truly is full of nothing but propaganda. And right down to your local police station, they'll have a PR specialist just for that purpose. And public relations, of course, they have courses in it for politicians. All politicians take the courses in it. And they get, whenever they get a poignant question, Put, put out and they, they don't want to answer. They simply, they're told, just imagine uh, the question you would like to have been asked. And that's why they waffle on and waffle on and never answer the question that's asked. So what's the point in having them? What's the point in having them even ask them the questions? Why go through this farce every time? But they do, because most folk never really catch on. It's all a farce anyway. And propaganda in the world of marketing completely mixed with intelligence and counterintelligence for forces, as I say, and the best ones go back and forth all the time between big business and the militaries and MI6, CIA, Mossad, and all the rest of them. And you find articles like this one, and this is out of the Ynet News uh, in Israel, and it talks about Donald Rumsfeld. Now, Donald Rumsfeld, of course, belonged to the New American Century, uh, the project for the New American Century, which had a whole list of countries, including Syria, to take out Iraq and Af- Afghanistan, a whole bunch of them. And they've done it all, basically. And, of course, uh, Obama's just following in their footsteps, because it doesn't matter who you vote for, there's only one agenda. And that's also what Quigley and others who worked for the guys behind all have said. There's only one agenda. So once in a while, when the public get fed up with the same face, uh, you, you vote in a new face. And, but they're all members of Council on Foreign Relations in America and the Royal Institute of International Affairs in Britain. And they have the, they have the same organization across the whole planet now, in every single country. Now, this is what Rumsfeld says, supposedly. And, of course, it's a, it's a game, even announcing this is a game, a strategy game to get support on board, to also predict what's going to happen, predictive programming, and also to frighten their target. And he says, Israel needn't notify the U.S. about a strike. Says former, now, why is a guy who's just, he's still involved in politics, obviously, been allowed to shoot his mouth off? You see, this, this is all strategy, as I say. So his former U.S. Defense Secretary agrees with the Prime Minister Netanyahu on lack of efficient sanctions in Iran and says Israel's intelligence on Iran is excellent. All Israelis need to do is delay them. 
So he says, well, U.S. Defense Secretary Leon Panetta attempted to convince top Israeli politicians and security officials not to launch a strike on Iran's nuclear facilities during his visit to Israel last week. His predecessor, Donald Rumsfeld, seems more prepared for a possible attack. In an interview with Fox News, the former U.S. Defense Secretary said the Prime Minister of Israel, Netanyahu, is probably correct. Sanctions tend not to work very well over a long period of time. And Rumsfeld, who served as Secretary of Defense during both the Ford and Bush administrations, told Fox that Israel's intelligence on Iran is excellent. He further denied the claims that an attack on Israel's nuclear facilities would not yield any results. I don't think that Israel has to destroy all of Iran's nuclear capability, said Rumsfeld, adding that Iran is a sophisticated country. They must have deep, uh, deeply buried sites. They must have, he says. And I'm sure the Israelis know precisely what they currently have. All, this, all the Israelis need to do is delay them, the Republican official said, uh, clarifying that Israel wouldn't need to destroy Iran's facilities 100% like they were able to do in Iraq or in Syria. Well, Iraq didn't have nuclear facilities, you know. Doesn't matter though. It says, um, Rumsfeld further criticized the patterns of leak. So he's Rumsfeld criticizing the patterns of leak coming from the U.S. White House, right? So who's, who's allowed him to open his mouth and all this stuff here? He says, concerning Iran, and said that if I were an Israeli government, I don't think I would notify the United States government of any intent to do anything about Iran. So he's telling Israel, keep it all secret. What about this joint partnership hands across the sea stuff? They've been on about and the treaties have signed. So he's telling Israel to ignore the U.S. Just take all the information you get from the U.S. and all the, the money, but don't tell the U.S. what you're up to. This is what he's saying here. So, so my guess is, given the pattern of leaks out of the White House, that any Prime Minister of Israel would not call the United States and give clear intentions as to what they plan to do. Last week, Panetta assured both the Prime Minister and Defence Minister Ehud Barak that the U.S. would act when it becomes clear that the military intervention in Iran is unavoidable. During his visit, Panetta echoed President Obama's position that currently the international community should focus on curbing Iran's nuclear ambitions through harsh sanctions rather than considering a military strike. Well, why don't they just go along with the suggestions I've had out of, of Iran? and go back to the International Atomic Commission uh, going in themselves and inspecting it like they've been doing all along and said there's nothing, there's no weapons-grade material here. See, the truth doesn't matter anymore. It's intention. The intention is to take over every single country across there and have other people from outside move in uh, with, with, with names that will blend in sort of thing, and they'll run the countries just like they do everywhere else. That, that's what it's all about, folks. That's what this is all this is about. And to terrify, of course, those in Iran as well. So everything's coordinated even when he is allowed to uh, run his mouth off and criticize the White House, etc., etc. Now, China is our, our most favored nation trading status uh, uh, country, supposedly, uh, to do with this very old system that Britain was bringing in the 1800s to do with world empire. And remember, too, the Royal Institute of International Affairs said that they model the, the core bodies, those who have already joined this free trade system, into this world empire. And China came in big time because we funded them to come in. We gave them the factories through the World Trade Organization. We trained their engineers for 30 years in the West, same in Canada even, before they even had factories to go home to. It was all planned a long time ago. That's how the world really works. 
And then when they signed the WTO, our own governments funded big corporations and small ones to uproot and move to wholesale to China, which they did. And we funded them to do it. Our tax money paid for it all. You see? You know, so in this world, there's not going to be such a thing as free trade. It's only authorized trade only, and that's the big boys. But anyway, in China, which is awfully corrupt, mind you, it's no more corrupt than, they just haven't got the sort of finesse they have in Western countries. And Britain's very good at corruption because they, they, they have tremendous ways to, to, to put it off and, and haul, haul it down to, oh, that's ridiculous, and that's, that's all they have to do. And in the U.S., it's pretty well in the open, corruption, and there's a bit of hand-slapping once in a while, but not much is done about it. And as, we, as the countries go on towards this great system, of course, of world government, you'll see more and more corruption, which is the norm, and it'll become even more so the norm. And the, the public themselves will accept it because they themselves are now corrupted through all the indoctrinations that they've had and what they watch for entertainment. This is in China, the rich and powerful can hire body doubles to do their prison time for them. It says in mid-2009, a wealthy 20-year-old was drag racing through the city streets of Hangzhou, China, when his Mitsubishi struck and killed a pedestrian in a crosswalk. Cars traveling so fast, the victim, a 25-year-old telecom engineer of a modest rural background, was flung 20 yards. Afterwards, bystanders and reporters photographed the driver, Hugh Bin, as well as his rich friends, who nonchalantly smoked cigarettes and laughed while waiting for the police to arrive at the scene. These images soon posted online provoked a public outcry. Anger over the callous behavior of these wealthy Chinese youths was followed by accusations of a police cover-up. First, the local authorities admitted that they had underestimated the speed Hugh's vehicle was traveling by half. Incredibly, the police had first suggested that Hugh was going no more than 43 miles an hour. Public furor rose again when Hugh received a three-year prison sentence, an exceptionally light punishment in a country where drunk drivers guilty of similar accidents can receive the death penalty. Well, it depends who you are in China and if your daddy is way up in the Politburo. Because they're communists, still remembers the strange communist capitalist system. But the most stunning allegation was that the man appearing in court and serving the three-year sentence wasn't Hugh at all, but a hired body double. It says the charge isn't as far-fetched as it may sound. The practice of hiring body doubles or stand-ins is well documented by official Chinese media. In 2009, a hospital president who caused a deadly traffic accident hired an employee's father to confess and serve as his stand-in. A company chairman is currently charged with allegedly arranging criminal substitutes for the executives of two other companies. In another case, after hitting and killing a motorcyclist, a man driving without a license hired a substitute for roughly $8,000. The owner of a demolition company that legally demolished a home earlier this year hired a destitute man who made his living scavenging in the rubble of raised homes and promised him $31 for each day the body double spent in jail. In China, the practice is so common, there's even a term for it called Ding Zui. Ding means substitute and Zui means crime. In other words, substitute criminal. The ability to so hire uh, so-called substitute criminals is just one way in which China's extreme upper crust are able to live by their own set of rules. By the way, the upper crust can also have as many children as they want. They just pay a little fee or a fine. And uh, it's because, you see, they really believe in eugenics and so on over in China. They're, they're more open about it. And after all, what it means is those who are highly successful become awfully rich and they become important. So obviously their genes are better than the ones down uh, going through the rubble, like that guy who did the stand-in.
Since while Occupy Wall Street grabbed attention for its attacks on the 1% in China, a much smaller faction the country controls an even greater amount of wealth. The top 1% of 1% in China controls close to half the country's riches. Yep. You know, they were there long before it became communist, by the way. There's a whole section they decide for them, but that's another story. The Chinese and relatives of China's rulers, many of whom grew up together, form a, a thicket of mutually beneficial relationships with many able to enrich themselves financially and, if necessary, gain protection from criminal allegations. Police officers in central China agreed to discuss the phenomenon of replacement convicts with me so long as I didn't refer to him by name. America has a rule of law, but China has a rule of uh, of people. The police officer told me, if someone is powerful, there's a good chance they can make this happen, spend some money and remain free. According to the police officer, hired stand-ins are not common, but not rare either. As examples, the officer listed several high-ranking mafia figures whose underlings serve time in their stead. The mafia cares for the substitute's family and pays a bonus for the time served. So... You know, there's always a way to do it. And that's how they get the driving licenses in Canada, by the way. They send them over, guys over, before the big boys come in. And when he arrives, he's got a driving license and everything. Back with more after this. Hi, folks. I'm back cutting through the Matrix and... From China to Australia, there's a good article about how the councils have gone green and kind of wild at that, and how they're really hammering people who have even holiday trailer parks and things like that as well. And I'll put this article up tonight, but it says we, we must weed out the councils that have gone wild green. And it's the same system, of course, in the US, Canada, and everywhere else, because um, these characters that run the, the big wilding projects and the greening projects have grafted themselves on to all councils. And uh, they're highly funded to do it, to have all the right connections to do it, because this is a, a must-be situation, must-be across the world. That's what I call them, because it's, it's written in stone, and that's how it's going to go and nothing's going to stop it from happening. But it gives you a case study of what was wrong with the O'Farrell government. So just across Richmond River from Belinda's Big Prawn, Bernard and Ricky Grinsberg run a caravan park on eight pretty acres, or hectares, it says, behind the South Belinda Beach. They've ploughed their retirement savings into storing an old camping ground in a low-key, affordable, family-friendly eco-resort. But now, like property owners all over New South Wales, their livelihood is under threat as green-dominated councils use a new statewide planning template effectively to sterilise land of human influence. So they don't want you there. The Grinsberg uh, Belina Beach uh, Village had been rezoned from a recreational zone to the environmentally sensitive category of E2, which is next to next stage down from a national park and forbids tourist activity. So here you have something to bring in the tourists, and they just the stroke of a pen decide uh, to downgrade you, and it forbids tourist activity. Well, technically they're allowed to keep operating their eco resort under an existing uses clause. The reality is the opposite. And every time they want to change anything, whether it's to use crockery at their kiosk, hire a, a singer to play at their, at their piano bar, renovate the interior of an old shed to turn it into a yoga studio, or even trim a branch of a termite-infested tree that might fall on a tent, they have to submit a development application and prove to Blinna Shire Council that they're not intensifying the use of their land. 
The effect is that their life, their thriving business is becoming un- unviable. They should see all the things they were told to do, even bring in a car wash and, and things like this, just to try and bankrupt you. But uh, it's, it's land theft, and they actually call it that themselves, land theft and green bureaucracy, because this is how they're going to get folk off the land and cram you all into the cities as we all die off up to the year 2050. That's a big number, apparently. And uh, they'll go on with their brave new world then and rewild it all, and, um, and that'll be that, because that is agenda, folks. And most folk, again, are not interested in who their council members are or how they're even selected. You understand, council members, even in Canada, are selected by certain people, uh, generally at, at a little uh, um, charitable organization. Uh, that's what they call themselves. And they join all the boards of, of, of uh, philanthropy around them if you want to get up the ladder, even in your local council, or even to get into it. And you'll eventually meet the right guy who takes you out on the, the, the golf club, tells you how it really works, and and, and he'll suss you out to see if you have all the, the, the politically correct ideas in your head. If you don't, you won't get into it. So you end up getting all the greenies in because this is an agenda, and that's how they actually choose them. Now, IBM. IBM is heavily involved with this whole world agenda uh, and so many different areas that the public are unaware of. And that there's smarter cities ID. You've probably all read about that, I'm sure. And it says they're going after all healthcare to do with it too. It says IBM smarter cities software to play a key role in the creation of Minnesota's health insurance ex- exchange. Uh, so it says they announced today that it will support the design and development of a statewide health insurance exchange in the state of Minnesota as a subcontractor to Maximus, the IBM Curum solution, will serve as a platform for the health insurance coverage or exchange. The IBM Curum solution, part of IBM's Smarter Series portfolio, was designed to meet the unique requirements of government-administered social programs. So they're going to take over all social programs through all their software and all their engineers. With the help of this platform, the state can provide statewide health insurance uh, options and enable citizens to determine eligibility for expanded Medicaid coverage and tax credits for various insurance plans. The solution incorporates new income standards and manages the capture and storage of IRS income data, streamlining the eligibility and verification processes for citizens. Public-private, public-private, you see. They're working with governments and, and interrelated with the IRS. They're merged with them, in a sense. And this is the new world order. Feudal system, Quigley said, and that's what it is. It's a new feudal system where the CEOs of big, giant corporations will be your new feudal overlords. Well, it's all here. It's all here. In addition to Minnesota's current initiative, IBM's integrated eligibility platform is capable of supporting any or all of the state's health and human services programs in the future. The contract is a significant milestone in design and development of Minnesota Health Insurance Exchange, etc., etc. So get used to seeing this across the whole of the U.S. because and Canada too because we're all involved in it all. I'll put this link up tonight. It's quite lengthy. You can read, read through it for yourselves. And also, there's a PDF on the company Curum, which they also own. This involved with it. It's a subsidiary of IBM. Curum Software is what they call it. A nice smiling face on the front, Odin, but with a stethoscope hanging around her neck. So I guess that's a doctor. They never use them nowadays, but that's her status symbol. And smiling, of course, as they hand over a little sheet of paper to you, which is probably your bill. But I'll put this link up tonight as well. 
and it's called Curum for Healthcare Reform. And for those who are interested in how things are going, it's a good thing to look into because it'll tie in with Obamacare too. And of course, next up after this break will be chemotherapy, how they've suddenly changed their minds about it. Back with more after this. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. We're back, cutting through the matrix and talking about chemotherapy. Now, it's always been highly controversial because we know the big Rockefeller companies started this off a long time ago and they were into the chemical industries, all the byproducts of their oil industries. In fact, really, the Rockefellers and the big foundations created the Medical Health Association system for the whole of the U.S. and the training and everything else. And at the end of life, of course, it's, it's awfully lucrative because people spend everything and even mortgage their homes and their relatives just to try and keep alive. So the biggest crooks are always there at the end. And, and, and it goes for alternative methods too, by the way. The crooks just, that's where they are. Folk are terrified and they're panicked and they're looking for something to help them. So anyway, it's, it's so strange that after all these years of self-evidence by just watching what happens to to people going through uh, treatment by chemotherapy and the denials that it harms the patients, good for them and so on. Suddenly they're just about face. Suddenly. Things don't happen suddenly in medicine unless some big orders come from the top and there's something else going on. Maybe they'll just give us the happy pills to, to get rid of us at the end. Here's, here's a little pill and take that and your worries are over. It'll be awfully cheap. But anyway, chemotherapy can make cancers more resistant to treatment and even encourage them to grow. And it's from the, the Mail Online. It says, it says, may affect healthy cells surrounding cancer cells. Well, they know that. Research suggests that some forms of cancer treatment can make the disease tougher to tackle. And chemotherapy treatment for some cancers may actually encourage tumors to grow. The researchers have claimed the treatment triggers the healthy body cells around the tumor to produce a protein that helps the disease to resist treatment. The surprise discovery suggests that some forms of the cancer treatment are doing more harm than good. And it says that scientists believe the effect is caused by the impact of chemotherapy drugs on healthy connective tissue called fibroblasts, it says. In a lab experiment, they found that drugs caused DNA damage, which made fibroblasts pump out 30 times more of a protein than normal. Then it says, the protein encouraged prostate tumors to grow and spread into surrounding tissue, as well as to resist chemotherapy. Uh, uh, cancer cells inside the body live in a very complex environment and neighborhood, said lead scientist Dr. Peter Nelson from the Fred Hutchison Cancer Research Center in Seattle, U.S. Where the tumor cell resides and who its neighbors are influences its response and resistance to therapy. Blocking the treatment responsible of fibroblasts could improve the effectiveness of chemotherapy, says a scientist whose findings are reported in the journal Nature Medicine. The team examined cancer cells from prostate, breast, and ovarian cancer patients who have been treated with the chemotherapy. Professor Fran Balkwell from Cancer Research UK said this finding ties in with other research that's shown that cancer treatments don't just affect cancer cells, but can also target cells around tumours. The effect can sometimes be a positive one, Professor Balkwell said, as in the case when chemotherapy stimulates healthy immune cells to attack tumours nearby. 
but this work confirms that healthy cells surrounding the tumour can also help the tumour to become resistant to treatment. The next step is to find ways to target those resistance mechanisms to help chemotherapy more effective. So what they want to do is is basically turn off your immune system, which chemotherapy usually does too, plus radiation. So this is, understands a lot of cancer articles out right now because this is grant time. All these guys live their whole lives long on big, big grants, you see, and this is grant time. So they, they generally recycle stuff that's already known and hoping to get renewal of grants. Now, in another article too, it says, uh, government may now collect and catalog and store all private information. Nobody cares about this anymore. Look at all the cell phones and out there. There's tweets and all the rest of it. Imagine the U.S. government had the power to scour the realms of public records and collect and c- collate every bit of personal information about every citizen in the country. Now imagine that any of the various intelligence and security agencies within the government could combine that data with any other information about a person that's been posted to a social media website or compiled by one of the many data aggregating companies that keep tabs on all of us. Finally, imagine that all this data could be passed amongst the agencies and that the ability of anyone inside or outside the government to challenge the surveillance was all but eliminated. Sadly, this is not the description of some fictitious dystopian future. It's a factual description of present-day America, and it's about to get much worse. In March, Attorney General Eric Holder, in cooperation with the National Counterterrorism Center, head Matthew Olson, and Director of National Intelligence Jamie or Jamer Clapper, uh, significantly accelerated this move towards abolishing privacy by approving a new list of guidelines for how, and they've got the list here, by the way, and the link to it. Put, put these up tonight at cuttingthroughthematch.com. Just for how long the U.S. government agencies tasked with combating international and domestic terrorism may retain the data to collect and store. Basically, this information may be saved even if it contains no connection to criminal activity whatsoever. Well, they're doing it on everybody, everybody, because you've got to be predictable in, in their wonderful new utopia. According to the new regulations, the National Counterterrorism Center, headquartered at the Liberty Crossing Complex in McLean, Virginia, can store and continues to assess this information for a period of up to five years. Before the promulgation of these new guidelines, the NCTC was under instructions to destroy promptly, typically defined to mean within 180 days, this cache of material gathered from U.S. citizens if there was nothing related to terrorism found in it. Speaking fondly of the new time restraints, Paul Rosenweig, a former official at the Department of Homeland Security, was quoted in the Washington Times or Washington Post saying, Five years is a reasonable time frame. I think 180 days was way too short. It's just not realistic understanding of how long it takes to analyze and search large data sets for relevant information. As expected, such an extraordinary expansion of the power of the federal government over private information and communications of citizens not suspected of committing a crime has riled up the segment of a republic concerned with the rapid repeal of our civil, civil liberties. So, it's just uh, ramping up itself, as you well know, and there's no end to this. It's what you were to be, just be expected. When they even gave you the first computer, they'd already decided on that long before they even gave you the Internet, in fact. That's how it's supposed to go. And the guy who helped set up Apple has come out, and he's making a bit of a stink about uh, the lack of all privacy, etc., and what happens. First of all, of all this one to do with uh, how a hacker wiped out uh, a guy's life, basically. An Apple cloud burst, they call it. The cloud is being used by big governments and everybody else now. Matt Honan was powerless to prevent the attack on his iCloud account, but there are steps organizations could be taking to protect their clients' data. It says, 
What would you do if your entire digital life started evaporating before your eyes? There was nothing you could do with it, about it. So I really worry about everything going to the cloud. I think there are going to be a lot of horrible problems in the next five years. And that's what the co-founder, Steve Wozniak, said that. This is a nightmare scenario that greeted U.S. technology journalist Matt Honan, who had all of the contents of his iPhone, iPad, MacBook, book, and ear wiped, and lost control of his Gmail and Twitter accounts all in the span of just over 15 minutes. It's been a shitty night, he says, and he recounted how his web world fell apart. And the scariest part of it is he had a strong seven-digit alphanumeric password. Apple has confirmed to Honan that its own tech support staff provided the hacker entry onto into his online world via a bit of clever social engineering. So Apple's actually helping the hackers to hack you. Several others have reported similar stories of Apple handing access to their accounts over to hackers. Security experts say it's very concerning uh, that... Uh, Apple's staff could be so easily tricked, while even Apple's co-founder Steve Wozniak believes the move to cloud computing will create horrendous problems in the next five years. This is a snowball after the hacker gained access to Honan's account on iCloud, an Apple service that allows users to keep all of their files backed up in the online cloud to trace stolen Apple devices and even to wipe them remotely if they fall into the wrong hands. As his cloud computing is becoming increasingly popular as users warm to the idea of accessing all their data from any device. The technology is also attractive to companies which can store huge amounts of data off-site with much lower costs and no hardware to, contain, to maintain. Once a hacker gained access to Horan's account, he or she was able to reset his password before sending the confirmation email to the trash. Since Honan's Gmail is linked to his, his Mac email address, the hacker was able to reset his Gmail password by sending a password recovery email to his Mac address. Minutes later, the hacker used iCloud to wipe Honan's iPhone, iPad, MacBook in ear remotely. Since the hacker has access to his email accounts, it was effortless to access Honan's other online accounts such as Twitter. In a blog post published at the weekend, Horan said he was playing with his daughter when his phone suddenly went dead and rebooted to the setup screen. So it's becoming more insecure. And part of it, too, is that the big companies, you see, are also selling so much of your data to supposed all different institutions like universities uh, and, again, marketers, etc., to do research on you. But, of course, hackers get in there amongst them, and they get all the data given to them gratis, basically, and to your detriment. Now, Apple's co-founder, as I said, made a grim warning about the cloud. Uh, Steve Wozniak said the cloud isn't the best place to store our data. He co-founded Apple with late Steve Jobs, predicted horrible problems in the coming years as a cloud-based computing takes hold. He's 61 years old now, was a star turn of the, the penultimate performance in Washington of the agony and ecstasy of Steve Jobs. And, um, and he says, and uh, monologist uh, Mike Daly's, uh, Daisy's controversial two-hour expose of Apple's labor conditions in China. And he says, in a post-performance dialogue with Daisy and audience members, Wozniak held forth on topics as varied as public education, as he once did a stint as a school teacher and reality TV, having appeared on Dancing with the Stars. Woo. <laughs> but the engineering wizard behind the progenitor of Daisy's personal computer, the Apple II, was most outspoken on the shift away from hard disk towards uploading data onto remote servers known as cloud computing. He says, I really worry about everything going to the cloud, he says. It's going to be horrendous, and there's going to be a lot of horrible problems in the next five years. He with the cloud, you don't own anything. You don't own anything. 
you've already signed it away through the legalistic terms of service with a cloud provider that computer users must agree to. I want to feel that I own things, Wozniak says. A lot of people uh, feel, oh, everything is really on my computer. But I say the more we transfer everything onto the web, onto the cloud, the less we're going to have control over it. Well, that's the whole idea. The super governments can be in control of everything. Prior to Saturday at the Woolly Mammoth Theatre in Washington, Daisy and Wozniak had met once before in California after performance of, as I said, The Agony and the Ecstasy. Wozniak was moved to tears, but a year later Daisy came under fire when it emerged that sections of his one-man show dealing with the Foxconn plant in China where iPhones and iPads are assembled had been fabricated. But anyway, he's telling you straight out that it's the end of privacy uh, and control over anything if you sign your life away, which most folk will do because it's so convenient, isn't it? Just so convenient. And that's the way that they actually do it and so on. Now, everybody's going on and on about this shooter, of course, the latest shooter. And it's interesting to, to see that he went to the, basically a Sikh temple. It's interesting too that he was with PSYOPs and that's what he was working with for quite a few years, psychological operations within the United States uh, for the army. And supposedly he wasn't even stationed abroad, but uh, they turned out a guy who obviously has problems and, and who knows the bit of it set him up for it too, triggered him, whatever. We just don't know. We might never know the whole story. Like all these shootings you get now, you never get told very much at all. And they're already saying it's a racist thing because he belonged to some punk band and he was disgusted the way the world was going, etc., etc. Well, I'll put some links on that tonight. I'm sure you've all been through the same things and read them all already, but I'll, I'll put that up tonight and you can basically see what you think yourselves. But as I say, we'll be guessing on this forever because just like the last shooting, uh, they, they clamp down on it. They keep all information quiet from the public as you go through their trials. And whatever the official version will be, eventually it'll come out in a few years' time when no one cares and you can't prove anything or follow anything up anyway, even if you want to investigate. But it says a gunman in a, in a Sikh temple shooting identified as ex-army soldier Wade Michael Page. Again, the three, the three names, either like that. And... Um, and it shows you his photographs, too, and all his tattoos. He had 9-11, of course, tattooed on his, one of his arms, too, apparently. So they say, in a way. You never know what you can put in with Photoshop. But it's a 40-year-old Army veteran suspected white supremacist. This is what they're saying here, a white supremacist, who gunned down six inside a Milwaukee area Sikh temple, shot responding after eight to nine times before he was killed by the police. Uh, officials say the gunman, whom they identified as Wade Michael Page, walked into the temple, Wisconsin, on Sunday and opened fire with a 9mm semi-automatic handgun as several dozen people prepared for morning services. Again, it's, it's all weaponry here, we're seeing here in the last couple of shootings, because after all, they want this world treaty uh, put forth. You understand the United Nations, if you go into their website, you have to look at world treaties on, on small arms. And I put a link up before from the 1960s, where it was one of the first ones they put out to do with complete and dis- a world uh, preparing for peace in a totally disarmed world population, basically. And it's wanted to take all uh, private firearms away from anyone who's not involved in the military for the country or the police of the country. And they say themselves, United Nations, that when they are the world government, if they're not already, that is, they and their armies, the NATO forces, etc., uh, will have the sole use of force. 
anybody else using force of any kind, that's not just firearms, is going to be illegal. Only the authorized ones by the United Nations will have the right to use force. And that means, too, that you can't defend yourself in any situation. That's what it means, too, folks. So we understand it. So anyway, as I say, um, I'll put up the links on this particular character, all that we do know about him, which isn't an awful lot, really. And we'll see how uh, things turn out from there. This other article did say that the shooting suspect was a U.S. Army Psychological Operations Specialist. And uh, it says uh, that uh, he had worked in psychological operations. The Pentagon said Monday, Michael um, Page, who was himself shot dead by police during the incident, was a 40-year-old who had served between April 1992 and October 1998, ending his career at Fort Bragg. North Carolina. He received his basic training in Fort Sill, Oklahoma, before being moved to Fort Bliss in Texas. Fort Bragg, where he finished his career, is home to many of the U.S. Army's uh, Airborne Units and Special Operations Command. So it's, um, it's quite interesting to see his connections. But as I say, we won't get any further with it. And um, this other article here is to do with as I mentioned last week, actually, to do with Syrian opposition. And last week I went through one of the people who's always a spokesperson, is Basma Kurmani, who happens to be uh, related to the Royal Institute of International Affairs, Council on Foreign Relations, and every other big group and intelligence agencies. She's one of the main ones who've gone across the Middle East, getting the preparatory work for stirring up students and so on for rebellion within countries so that we can say, oh, they're they're clamping down on their own people. We've got to intervene. And she's been at the Bilderbergen meetings too. Well, this next one here is to do with the next guy. He's Radwan Zayedi. Another often quoted SNC representative, Zadwan Zaidi, director of foreign relations at the Syrian National Council. Zaidi has, has an impressive CV. He's a senior fellow at the federally funded Washington think tank, the U.S. Institute for Peace. These are the guys who are behind the wars. Back with more after this. Hi folks, I'm back and rather than go through all the all the CIA boys and Mossad boys and, and MI6 boys that are behind all these jihads etc and their massive armies of specially trained people from the West I'll, I'll go to the callers, just some callers here There's Daniel from the UK hanging on there, Are you there Daniel? Hello Daniel I, I just wanted to ask you about um, you know Brzezinski came out with that opinion he said... Um, we won't get our, or get our opinions from the media. We won't be able to form our own opinions. Yeah. Um, you said that a few times. Um, did he get that from um, this bloke called Dobrogeyev? From, from who? Dobrogeyev, some psychologist. I, I, I'm reading a mm-hmm. book called um, uh, Rape of the Mind by a oh, chap yeah. called uh, A.M. Mirlu. Have you heard of it? Yeah, they use that book and a lot of other books to do with from behaviorists. And uh, today there's a lot more scientists involved, neurolinguistics and psycholinguistics and etc. But uh, when Brzezinski said that, he said that shortly the people will be unable to 
come to their own conclusions. Their conclusion will be formulated for them. They'll simply follow the media and, and whatever uh, the, the media said, that would become their conclusion on any particular topic. And, and he said that's all they'll be able to talk about is what we give them to talk about. Well, that's already happened. He said that 30-odd years ago. Yeah. Well, this, um, this book is from 1956, and it quotes this chap, Dr. Gaya, um, who was some Russian psychologist, um, mm-hmm. but it comes out with a, um, a paragraph here. Would I be able to read this out? Um, and yeah. Tell me what you think. Yeah, go ahead. It says, Pavlov had already explained that man's relation to the external world and to his fellow men is dominated by secondary stimuli, the speech symbols. Man learns to think in words and in the speech figures given him, and these gradually condition his entire outlook on life and on the world. As Dobrogeyev says, language is the means of man's adaptation to his environment. We could rephrase that statement in this way. Man's need for communication with his fellow men interferes with his relation to the outside world because language and speech itself, is itself the verbal tools we use, are variable and not objective. Dobrogeyev continues, speech manifestations represent conditioned reflex functions of the human brain. In a simpler way, we may say, he who dictates and formulates the words and phrases we use, he who is master of the press and radio is master of the mind. Um, in the Pavlovian strategy, terrorizing force can finally be replaced by a new organization of the means of communication. Ready-made opinions can be distributed day by day through press, radio, and so on, again and again, until they reach the nerve cell. And in yeah, that's rep- repetition. Repetition is key, and also having all media on board with the same terminology, the same buzzwords, the phrases that you use on the same topics, and that as a form of psychic driving, it implants and embeds in our minds, like weapons of mass destruction. We all remember them all saying that over and over and over. Uh, and so that is key, the key to it. But even Bernays talked about this too. The appeal through language to the subconscious and unconscious parts of people, uh, and they motivate all the driving instincts you have inside you. They can turn you off of a topic or turn you on to a topic quite easily, just as they can turn, turn you on to a product to buy or turn you off on a competitor's product. So it's all to do with language and the conclusions because your mind will follow the terminology and, and it's written in such a way that your mind is guided to the conclusion at the end of it. So you're quite right. It's a very simple technique, of course, but now they own all the media and they're all on board and saying exactly the same handouts that are given from the Pentagon or wherever and that's how it's done. It's repetition, standardized news. Quite right. Thanks for calling, though. From Hamish Massey, Frontier, Canada, it's good night. May your God or your God's go with you.